over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Well, so nice, uh, Nancy, you get to do it twice today. Our family two-hour extravaganza, as we do every holiday now, for all those who don't have family or friends to be with on New Year's, uh, Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, and Easter. And first, uh, how is Low-Key doing? Low-Key, welcome in the new year. Here on our live and local program, WABC, as we counted the ball coming down with our owner-operator who is in studio, John and Margot Katsimatidis, uh, Rita Cosby, uh, Nancy, myself, uh, and uh, Low-Key, the youngest of the many rescue cats. We call him the runt of the litter. How, how did she uh, survive that trauma? Oh, well, you know, she's recovering okay now. Oh. I mean, it, it's tough for them, though, because that's not their their nature to really just go out and uh, be thrown into the mix and, you know, just be, you know, they, they, they need some time to to get accustomed to a place. So. so when you brought her back to the lair, to the apartment, how did the other cats uh, greet her? Well, actually, they were they were pretty okay. They didn't they didn't treat her too differently. So, yeah, they, they didn't really notice. Like when we bring the cats to the vets and they do something where, like, the vet's handling them, or maybe they have to get like a shot, or they're cleaned up in some sort like way. That's when the cats will be like kind of aggressive and and like not recognize almost who the cat is who's coming home. Why is that? I mean, I've seen cats that you brought mm-hmm. to the vet, whether to get fixed or to get a medical treatment because they had a malady. They come back. It's not like they're staying a long time at the vet. The same cat that you took out the door in the morning, you bring back at night, and now the other cats who were playing with them uh, 24 hours before are hissing at them. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, because a lot of their sense is based on smell. So right away, you know, it's not like, oh, well, you look the same, so you're the same cat. It's the the scent. So the scent's preceding them, and the scent is different. So, you know, that they that's what really they're going by. And so it could just be a different cat. So, again, you know, and, and again, we have a couple that look similar to each other. So, again, I don't really think that's the main way in which they, they judge each other by, by observation visually. But they didn't do that to Loki. They embraced Loki back into the colony. Yes, definitely. Yes. E- excellent. Now. Number one question I've been asked all week, and I don't, I can't even fathom it. I thought maybe it was just the name of a new strain of flu, because as you know, we've been clobbered with continued COVID-19, RSV, and flu. Uh, the warnings are out, dog flu, dog food, dog flu. I didn't know if it affects canines or if it's a name for a flu that's affecting humans. You're up on this. Can you explain this massive uh, sort of uh, flu that is uh, uh, sweeping the nation that is affecting dogs? 
Well, yeah, so it's, uh, specifically there's nine states that are included. Uh, New York and Pennsylvania are two of them where dog flu is on the rise. So this is, um, you know, uh, a flu that's specific to dogs, and it, it's represented by two different strains. So it's uh, two varieties of uh, flu that a dog can get. Um, now, the way in which they're getting them is, uh, you know, it's not 100% clear. Um, you know, more or less you get it from another infected dog, and you would, that would happen in close proximity. So uh, the suggestion is if you're having the dog uh, stay at so, – and, you know, one of the things is that because people are going on uh, vacations more now that the travel restrictions have been lifted, uh, something that could explain it is people are tending to board their dogs more often so they're coming into close proximity with other dogs. Now, this would also be at something like a dog park. Um, the the remedy <clears throat> for this is, I mean, now once the, the dog is diagnosed with the flu, <clears throat> it doesn't seem as though there's much that they can do aside from, I mean, as far as what I'm seeing so far, it doesn't seem that they can do much aside from caring for the symptoms that they're having. Um, so there, it's really more of a preemptive thing that they're suggesting. Uh, for, you know, dogs that would be considered at high risk. So, again, like dogs that are coming into close proximity with other dogs um, who may, you know, be infected with anything. So, uh, you know, coughing, runny nose, watery eyes, fatigue, fever, almost like, um, you know, in a way like uh, visually maybe mimics uh, what a human would have if they had um, a cold or a flu. So that's how you might know if the dog had it. But unfortunately, um, because there was this, increase of this diagnosis, it caused a number of shelters in these states to um, stop adopting the dogs out, like basically to close the uh, shelter adoptions for the dogs because of this outbreak, so to speak, of the flu. So it's been bad news for shelter dogs in these states. Do they sneeze like a human? <clears throat> well, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, yeah, in a sense, I mean, I, you know, it's, I guess it's the dog version of it, but yeah, it would be the equivalent of of, um, yeah, sneezing, but, you know, you could tell also uh, with a dog, right, because if they have, like, the wet nose, right, so the runny nose, um, uh, watery eyes, uh, and then, you know, lethargic, tired, right, so if the dog is not as active as it was before, so there's tests to do, um, and, I, again, I guess the suggestion is, you know, maybe that this is going to be helpful. Now, again, but I think there's, unfortunately, there's very little information so far on how helpful these things might be because they're talking about these two strains and one of the strains originated in horses and then somehow spread to greyhounds. Another, the other strain, this is really weird. It started off in birds. Then it was found in dogs in South Korea and now it's found here. So, you know, again, this level of interconnectedness, you know, when something happens in one country, I mean, these animals are being sold for, varieties of purposes, food, water, research, whatever they're getting here. So if something bad is going on in another country with the animals, it will work its way here at some point. Well, so we're in the middle of flu season here. In addition to having COVID-19 continue and RSV, respiratory uh, problems, let's say you go to uh, CVS or Walgreens or Dwayne Reed or Rite Aid. Better go to Rite Aid quick because they're closing down because of all the uh, shoplifting and pilferage. Uh <laughs> If you, you know, humans still grab all the NyQuil they can get into their basket or the DayQuil, 
they, they don't recommend giving like dogs Nyquil or Dayquil. No, no, they, don't. they definitely do not recommend doing that. Um, and can so, other can a dog catch dog flu from another dog? Well, so that's the thing, right? So that's um, you know that's where the uh, like the infection comes from potentially. It's within like the droplets. So shared water bowls, uh, food bowl, shared uses of uh, usage of toys. So if um, a dog within a household were to have it, right, that would be um, the logic for quarantining the dog. Or if you have a singular dog, you're not going to bring that dog in close proximity to other dogs because it could get it. But see, this is the reason why it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense with the shelter dogs, right? Oh, we're going to close it down because, you know, if these dogs have, you know, this. Well, if the dog is being treated... I mean, again, if it's a single dog in a home, I mean, there's no reason to think, and it, it has a certain amount of weeks um, that it needs to go through. So, again, unfortunately, that got looped into it. Um, it they can't give this type of flu to humans, but uh, potentially, supposedly, they could give it to cats, although it's not highly likely. So only cats are potentially um, at risk. So there are a lot of people listening now who have both dogs and cats uh, that they raise together. Uh, so that's a potential, but what about to the adult themselves, to the human or the children or grandchildren? Could... Oh, no, this is, yeah, no, this doesn't have, um, you know, it, it doesn't uh, infect, so uh, it, this isn't infecting people. So, again, this, would, this is something specific to dogs that doesn't transmit to people. Um, you know, and, again, I think people can, uh, you know, get their dogs' uh, immunity down. They're, they're susceptible to uh, people flu, but... No, this is just specific to dogs. And why is it dogs don't merit having a fancy name on this flu? Why is it just called dog flu? <laughs> yeah, and actually it's, it's it's even less fancy than that. It has like these um, couple like little letter and number designations to it, uh, H3 something. Yeah, nothing that you would possibly know what it is. But if they just use the originating source, it would be, um, let's see. Yeah, horse and bird flu is kind of what it is. It's varieties of those. Horse and bird flu. So now that you've complicated this, I thought it pretty much <laughs> they couldn't transmit. They could transmit this to Mr. Ed or to birds? Well, yeah, and there you go. And that's the thing. So, you know, the, the conversation obviously is within the vacuum of the the pet, the household, the normal interactions that people have because everything's people-centered. Oh, our interactions with the dogs. But, yeah, th th these came from horses in the first place and then birds, and then it was in South Korea. So, again, there's a lot of animals that are affected by this. So um, is this, uh, with all the bird flu we've seen, they've slaughtered hundreds of thousands of birds, <laughs> obviously, that are kept that are uh, kept in these, um, uh, these uh, farming-style industrial complexes so that we can have chicken or you, you can have... Uh, a goose or, or a duck or turkey, uh, is that also one of the reasons that it it, it, it spreads uh, to flocks? You know what, and, and again, I, um, um, part of that, I think, is really the fault of, uh, you know, government bailouts, really, is what this comes down to, because you there are some animals where, you know, they have a small percentage that are tested, uh, testing positive for these new variants of things, right? So, again, it's not even um, a for sure uh, protocol they have set up to know how they can handle it. But because they get uh, the ability to get a claim from the government, 
uh, it's like 80% of market rate of what they would be selling. It's easier for them to just cull the herd. And a nice way of saying just kill everything instead of having to do, I mean, think about it. You have the ability to do some extensive testing and see, okay, how much is affected? You know, th there could be some research done here. Instead, they're just killing them because they're getting paid um, like for these uh, claims, like these insurance claims. So, I mean, that's a problem. They don't have to really show that they're being diagnosed in any great level. And I think that's been um, helpful, this sort of like fear that they're able to spread into all these uh, different uh, food sources, uh, contamination, but there's no proof that they have to put forward. You know, that there's no there's no way to check, oh, is this legitimate? See, that's a problem. So because this complete lack of transparency, it's hard to tell how much of flocks really are being infected at all, at all with any of these things. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's the Animal Welfare Hour. Whatever animal-related question or statement you have, feel free to give a call. 1-800-848-9222. It's exclusive here to WABC. Uh, earlier in this past week, uh, Nancy, when uh, John Katzmatidis and I were substituting for Sid Rosenberg, as we will, and just uh, well, from 6 to 10 in the morning, we had on um, an expert from the Humane Society who shocked John when she said that there are about 3,000 dogs that get euthanized each year in America and 3,000 cats for no specific reasons. It's not like, you know, they're, they're dying or they're in hospice or they have an incurable disease. They just get slaughtered, destroyed, because uh, the shelters uh, turn into an assembly line. He was shocked, and I think that really draws home the point that we are killing unnecessarily 6,000 dogs and cats each and every year simply because the shelter uh, has a quota. Uh, they can't adopt them out or they can't foster them out, so let's just destroy them. Well, yeah, and, and in terms of the, the numbers related to that, so, um, it, you know, it, that could be just in reference to the ones that are, you know, technically healthy and adoptable because, you know, that's always the outrage, right? Um, the shelters get away with this very um, lackluster approach to uh, getting these animals adopted, fixed, um, you know, making sure the population isn't out of control by – you know, having uh, complete control over, like, which animals that they can euthanize for whatever reason. But they still get caught up on, um, you know, killing otherwise healthy, adoptable animals. And that's it, it's nothing more than just being lazy. But so across the shelters, so now this includes the ones that they, they're categorizing as unadoptable for whatever variety of reasons. So it's 1.5 million shelter animals that are euthanized each year. So there's the majority of them are cats, Right. Um, because, you know, it, I think it's just more, more cats are uh, taken in. So almost a million cats are killed every year. Uh, 45% of the cats that enter the shelter are euthanized before they're relinquished. This is throughout the United States. And then almost 100% of the feral cats that are brought in are euthanized because they're never considered adoptable. So that's the reason why you don't want to really bring in a feral cat. They're never going to get out of there. Um, uh, you know, they're just not going to be considered adoptable. So the numbers become really objectionable when you look at just how many they're killing. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And while we were sitting here counting down uh, as the ball brought in the new year, we were doing our live and local broadcast. You were here with 
the runt of the uh, litter of the 18 rescue cats uh, that was uh, low-key. Rita mm-hmm. Cosby was here. John and Margot were here. And then afterwards, we started talking about John Casamitidis' first cat at his first store, which I believe was up in Washington Heights, named Meeps. He has a picture of Meeps. And Meeps had progeny 186 kittens that <laughs> Meeps brought into the world. And what he did was, and his store managers, they adopted them out to customers. Thereby, they didn't have to be euthanized. They didn't have to be released out into the streets. And this sort of reminded us of what the cat cafes do, where they actually end up adopting out more cats, unwanted cats, than even the shelters do. Yeah, I mean, and and just look at this example, right? It's one person who has that much of a direct impact in interacting, interfacing with the public. And that one person, so that just shows you how big a difference one person can make. You know, uh, I saw a picture that will shock a lot of people earlier today. I shared it with you. Apparently somebody was swimming in the surf or or were surfing, and there was a a shark on shore that was struggling. They, They couldn't get back into the water. And I watched this video, and this young man picked up the shark in its hands, cradled the shark, and brought the shark back, put it in the water, and the shark swam away. Now, most people would say, Nancy, that's crazy. I'm not going to be cradling a shark and putting it back in the water. What is it that people need to know about sharks? Well, yeah, and, and actually this guy, he I believe he's like almost uh, close to 50 years old. So he lived in the area, and he's been uh, surfing at that beach for, you know, several decades. And he said rarely is there uh, shark sightings, but it's never been anything that was any aggressive interactions. So when he saw the uh, shark initially, he tried to just sort of kick it back into the water, but it wasn't catching. But he didn't think twice about you picking it up to, uh, you know, like sort of hold it to, to carry it out a little further because he has interacted with them for so long. So, I mean, you know, again, his his experience and what he was trying to relay is that, um, you know, there's there's so many uh, shark sightings going on right now, specifically in the area where he's at, like South Wales. And this is because they have drones. So you have these companies that are employed with the drones where they're just you know, having uh, shark sightings. So now there's so many more sightings, so the sightings themselves become the alarm, right? We see more now. So ergo, it's a bad thing. They're they're not really saying they're attacking people. There's no increase in violence. There's nothing happening. But the very sight of them is causing, um, you know, people to get concerned. But he's just, you know, he's an example of how people interact when they do live there. And they do go onto the beaches. He had no fear of the shark whatsoever. None. He just cradles the shark in his arms the way you would cradle, let's say, a dog, if you are carrying a dog. And he goes back into the water and releases the shark, who obviously had lost its, uh, I guess you can say, its uh, its boundaries, and then just swam away. And that leads us to an even bigger story. This last week, Steven Spielberg, apologized to the worldwide shark population because he claims that when he made that 1975 blockbuster movie Jaws and then Jaws 2, 
that it led to a massive destruction of the shark population, a feeding frenzy, he called it. And he said it was really all because we created this man-eating great white shark devouring New England Island residents, which really didn't exist. And he apologized to the shark community. Well, hopefully he uh, he did more than that. Hopefully he actually is, like, funding some sort of, uh, uh, you know, protection of their environment or something. Because, yeah, I mean, let, let's face it, he didn't make Flipper. I mean, he knew what he was doing. He knew it was going to – maybe he didn't realize the extent to which it was going to cause the damage. But, I mean, people are constantly afraid of the unknown and certainly animals, right? You can't communicate with them directly, so – you just interpret their behavior. So, yeah, he, he pretty much did a bad thing by putting those things together. Yeah, and to this day, people believe when they see a shark, that a shark is going to go immediately move in your direction and try to consume you, bite you, uh, leave you uh, struggling in the water if you don't just bleed out. Now, thank God, long live Dr. Fauci is out of office. He's gone. At least we think he's gone. And uh, we discussed here on the Animal Welfare Hour how he had outsourced experiments on dozens of beetles to the third world country of Tunisia, which uh, they ended up torturing the beetles by putting them on a gurney, putting them in a head collar, and then releasing sand fleas who ate the skin off their skulls. Uh, Horrible torture, horrible death. Never got an explanation of why other than... uh, uh, you got to be like a, a sadist. And now mm-hmm. we see that his same organization, the National Institute of Health, gave millions to researchers who are accused of a vaccine development scam. Can you explain that? Um, okay, so uh, National Institute of Health, they fund research to um, a conglomerate of uh consortium of companies that are based in Colombia, owned by a couple, uh, Socrates and Miriam Herrera. So they own these companies. Supposedly, they're doing legitimate research uh, trying to develop a, a vaccine for malaria. But the people who are working on the inside are saying there's actually no scientific research being done um, whatsoever. So they started to, um, you know, expose this place and, you know, they received $17 million in funding. Um, And, you know, part of the reason why this thing has, um, you know, gone under the radar for so long is because when uh, when research is done in the United States, uh, you know, as bad as it is, there's still minimum requirements uh, where they're doing annual inspections. And if there's anything Um, incorrect or the animals are being abused or there's no legitimate research, these things would be reported and then the funding would be pulled. When they uh, fund this research in countries, foreign countries, uh, those requirements don't apply. So they're not going to have any oversight. So in in 2022, they funded 700 grants, uh, over $200 million dollars to foreign companies. So, again, this is money that they'll, they're not able to track whatsoever. They're, they can't over, have any oversight whatsoever about this. And, again, it's to the point where they weren't even keeping any, any medical records about these testing that they're doing. So this is a problem. And the only recourse left to these 
uh, people who were exposing, because again, it, it really came down to exposing the abuse against the animals, which is that, you know, they're being kept, uh, no windows, no airflow, um, you know, like uh, a big population in a small cage. Like, so they're really, they, it was brought forward because of the animal abuse. The funding by the U.S. government is a secondary story, but their only recourse because they can't go to uh, the U.S. government because they don't have this protocol in place is that they have to report it to the Colombian AG. So surprise, surprise, no charges were filed. It's okay. <laughs> and so now that's the problem. They get the funding, and unless it gets pulled, um, this will just continue to happen. So they, they, they shouldn't be able to, to outsource any of this type of animal testing because this is exactly what's going to happen every time. Well, there's one thing that we have to impose. We're going to have to lobby for this, Nancy, along with other animal lovers is that with the demise of Fauci, thank God he's gone. Yes, thank God. Uh, since Ronald Reagan was president, he's been there. Uh, mm-hmm. And it would be interesting to see how often they outsource the torture of animals, supposedly for experimental reasons that uh, would lead to cures, you know, for baldness, for impotency, or whatever the, the nonsense they said. Why, no, this is, yeah, I'm sorry, why they were outsourcing it to third world countries that they knew had no standards that would torture these animals and for what reason and force him. Now, you know, the whole focus now is the Republicans will be in power. They hate Fauci, but yeah. they'll never call him up to the hill to explain animal experiment, uh, experimentation and torture in foreign countries that we supported. They'll, they'll be like, oh, the Wuhan, why, why did you send money to their biological weapons uh, lab? They'll never deal with this issue which apparently is systemic. We do this all over the world. We, we, we outsource our tax dollars to laboratories in third world countries because we know they can do things that we're not permitted to do all in the name of science. And you know it's nothing more than torture. Yeah, I mean, and if, and if it was done here, it would be protested against and it wouldn't occur. And, and the complete lack of any medical evidence, see, that's the problem. It's not even that they're doing something that's, you know, since we've spoken about this before in a number of ways, the fact that this funding continues to exist and the money continues to go to them, no matter what, they have a certain amount to be allotted. And there's, you know, apparently it doesn't matter, you know, what the, you know, if there's any efficacy in their testing. So it's a problem. This is where the funding needs to get pulled from them because they're being irresponsible with it. So minimum, you shouldn't be funding anything to any of these um, foreign testing agencies, that's a very easy solution. I mean, you don't have to think about that one long, but, you know, it should be done immediately. You know, not one of these things that takes a committee and we got to talk about it and let's vote on it five years from now. Like, that's an easy solution today that can happen. Now, a lot of people do realize now, because we've done a few programs here in the Animal Welfare Hour, where I've related to them that your nickname is Lone Wolf and that you love wolves. And I see there was this huge article in the Wall Street Journal in which they tracked this lone gray wolf's journey. Uh, and it gave us some insight on how the wolves live because they have mates. They mate for life. And they have a lot of human characteristics. Yeah, this um, so uh, this is uh, studies of wolves that live in the Minnesota area. Uh, I think this is an example of sort of responsible um, you know, observation of animals, right? So it's not aggressive testing. It's just looking at animals uh, within their natural environment. 
what they're trying to do, uh, they also have uh, like GPS uh, things attached to uh, one to two members of 16 established colonies that they have of these wolf packs. So they're monitoring them. They're seeing, uh, you know, where they travel to, um, able to see like their eating uh, patterns, uh, you know, procreating patterns, things like that. But so what happened was there was, you know, like a lot of fear. So, so again, a, you know, the, a lot of fear previously that these were very aggressive, threatening animals. So they were overhunted to the point of um, almost being completely ex- extinct and were declared endangered at the, the end of the 70s. So now the population's been increasing. And, you know, so now, you know, it's there, at least in that area, they're fine. But I think what was really uh, very telling about what you know these, these studies have shown, they do have in a, the impact. So it says that in the park where the wolves live, uh, the population it's thrived since the 80s without them overrunning the landscape or throwing the ecosystem off balance. So again, they the the population stabilized where it should be, and they they just letting them be. So again, they're not directly intervening right here. They're just allowing. The population to be unfettered, and also you know monitoring them. So you know this is why you don't necessarily need to get involved all the time with these you know hunting like what they're trying to do in New Jersey. Oh, let's hunt the bears. It's not going to work. It doesn't make any sense. And it's just you know it's better just to sort of monitor where they're going, what's going on, because we do coexist with them. So it would be easier because we can work with the, the fact that they're already there. And while we're doing that, what we should be doing is doing everything to make sure that they're. Um, you know, not having, you know, excessive amounts of uh, babies. Like, that's that's the whole goal of everything. You want to spay and neuter as much as possible. You want to do things that are going to keep the population down on its own. That will alleviate all of these problems. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. When we return to the Animal Welfare Hour, we'll be taking your calls in terms of whatever it is that's on your mind. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Okay, Nancy, to the phones we go. It's uh, Jack who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. How are you, Curtis and Nancy? Just a quick correction. When you spoke to the individual at the Humane Society, they said it was 3 million dogs and 3 million cats that were euthanized. That is correct. Uh, to, uh, what? No, no. I think Nan- Nancy was referring to. Uh, sh- no, I think he's saying what you were saying. You said three thousand. Right. Remember? Correct. Yeah. No. No. So, so yeah. So it's more than that. Um, so yeah. Right. Yeah. Three million it. of each, right? Mm-hmm. But see, uh, Jack, you got your your radio on. It's doing reverb. It's like you're dribbling uh, between Nancy and myself. It's rebounding off the uh, arena floor. <laughs> To the uh, arena, <laughs> arena yeah. roof, uh, but uh, we—it's w- clear the Humane Society has said that three million dogs get euthanized each year, and not for any specific reason other than they're alive. And mm-hmm. uh, three million cats get euthanized, correct? Right. They were blaming uh, puppy mills, of course, for a lot of this. They were also saying that a lot of people give up the dogs when they can't afford either. Uh, get them fixed with the veterinarian and so forth and so on. Well, I think that's the danger, Jack, in that people have been conditioned that if they surrender their dog or cat or other animal to a shelter, 
that they are going to try to find them the home of their own. And that's not always the case. So if you're planning on surrendering your dog and cat, try to find somebody else who will care for them. I can understand you might be going into the hospital, you have an illness, you can't afford the feeding or the medication necessary or the vet trips. But the last thing you should ever do is surrender your animal, who I'm assuming is a friend and a member of your family, to a shelter. Because that would be similar to when uh, a coronavirus first hit, Nancy, if you remember, in March of 2020. And we saw the hospitals overloaded and people were bringing their loved ones into the emergency rooms. And then 80% of them were dying because they would be put on ventilators and they would die. He's like, you don't do that. You don't, you don't surrender your dog or your cat to a shelter unless you absolutely have no choice whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, and, and more options should be available. And, and not just available, oh, you can hunt them out and, and figure it out. Uh, this, this needs to be done more aggressively. I mean, the reason why the city uh, is getting is, is basically doling out almost $20 million per year to the city shelters to take care of the animals, and there's an overpopulation problem, they need to be taking out their spay and neuter vehicles and driving them and keeping them stationary and putting up signs and telling people, you have to just do that for free because that's how you save the money afterwards, which is really what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah, and and they have them, and then after they have a few litters or a few puppies and then they don't want them anymore – it takes them a while before they realize, oh, I can't sustain this constant litters. And then by then, there's already like 15 dogs or cats out there, and they're just relinquishing one. Meanwhile, there's 15 more out there. And it's not good for the female pet because she can only have so many litters before it just saps the energy out of her, causes her to have medical issues, and causes her an unnecessary early death. Let's go to Pat in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Pat. Nancy, how are you? Good. I've been dying to talk to you. My uh, son-in-law worked at Jacoby Hospital 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, at all those sites when they're putting up a building, there are a lot of cats. Yeah. So he... uh, He would have all the construction workers bring in food for them. Uh, you know, the next day when they come in and all like that, and they come over and feed them. So yeah. the, uh, after a month or so, uh, the super comes and says, you know, Bennett, uh, I hate to tell you this, but the exterminator is coming around in a couple of days. He uh, says, could you, could you put them off just for a couple of days? I'll work something out. He yeah. calls my daughter on the phone, and he says, oh, Listen, they're going to – she says, well, do what you feel like doing, Bennett, like that. They went out that night with the biggest cage they could find. (laughs) He brings it to work the next day. He puts the mother cat in, and he puts five of her babies in. And he gets most of the construction workers to take one or two home. Oh, that's funny. And uh, my daughter – she took him from there, you know, from the job. He took him right to the vet up in Putnam, yeah. Putnam County. And they yeah. were defleed and you name it. Oh, I don't yes. know what it yeah. cost you. 
But yeah. she was, uh, my daughter loves cats. She has two Siberians now. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, because she has to be careful with the breathing and all, well, that, and she's allergic. That is but, uh, that is good news, Pat. People who care about cats who don't just walk away. We heard a horrible story earlier in the day, Nancy, uh, between 3 and 5, when we were connecting with a lot of people who were shut-ins or had no family of their own or no friends to bring in the new year. And a woman from Brooklyn told us she had been uh, raised out in Australia. I think it was Melbourne. And she told us she had uh, cats that she would come home to every day from school, a mother and about a total of, what, 10 or 12 kittens. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then apparently the landlord gathered them all together, put them in a sack, Uh, Mm -hmm. and drowned them. Yes, yes. Because he thought that was the right thing to do. And there are a lot of people, especially immigrants, where they were raised, especially in third-world countries where they believe that cats spread disease and dogs. Now, and, and do you recall how old um, the age of that woman? Um, uh, she calls regularly, uh, so I would say probably in her 40s or 50s. Yeah, okay, well, yes, and, and she was she was talking about this, and she's, the way she speaks about it, she's still traumatized by it. Yeah. And that's, you know, this is another reason, too, why speaking about animal abuse it's very important to you know, call that out and to make sure you don't allow people to abuse animals because when children are growing up in households and they're witnessing this and they know that it's wrong but they can't do anything about it, I mean, these kids are being traumatized. So there's a reason to get proactively involved. Oh, no, I'm not going to say, oh, that's, that's their pet. Oh, I don't care. No. What do you think these kids are seeing? And, you know, and again, this this is going to develop issues with them growing up too, right? I can't, oh, I can't defend my pet. Oh, I love my dog. My daddy's kicking. Like, you, I mean, th- this is important. These are important issues in society we need to address. Well, you know, it's interesting. We uh, see this, this ongoing discussion about how young men in prison or in jails, how many of them are dyslexic. So we have Mayor Eric Adams and Jumani Williams, the public advocate, are saying, oh, About 60% of them are dyslexic. That may well be. But they're not dealing with the bigger issue of what leads to violence. You talk to uh, young men, as I have, who are doing long-time sentences of, of, and I say long time because nowadays two years is considered a long time, two, four, five for serious assault, attempted murder, murder, you go to death row. Mm-hmm. And you have conversations with them, and you learn certain things. Okay, a lot of them can't read or write. Yes, a lot of them are dyslexic. But a lot of them started by torturing animals. People mm-hmm. knew about it, mm-hmm. didn't do anything about it. Yeah. And it escalated from animals to family members to workers to strangers until the point where they became a total psychotic killer that had almost to be put down. When we had a death penalty, they'd be put down. Here would be, they'd be in Sing Sing, Austining, and they'd have to fire up old Sparky. They don't do it anymore in New York State or New Jersey or most states. But, uh, I mean, and and we consider ourselves to be so progressive, and yet that question is never addressed. Why did a person do this? Why are they doing this? Well, because we're, the most important we're, question to we're, ask. we're always looking for human characteristics, never those that involve animals. And again, I can't say it enough. 
But Mahatma Gandhi, who's looked upon as being global, his influence, which it is, even in death. And he said time and time again, he said, a society that does not take care of its animals will not take care of its people. And all you have to do is look at 2023, our first day of the new year. And in walking around today, I saw emotionally disturbed. I saw homeless. I saw them in the subways. Uh, I mean, just relegated to wallowing yeah. around in their own yeah. urine and and, yeah. and defecation and mumbling, yeah. and then yeah. Yeah. then obviously we don't take care of them, and we're not yeah. taking care of animals. It's almost like what Gandhi said so many years ago is true to this day. As enlightened and as advanced as we think we are as a first world society, he was right. It's totally right, and we need to really look at that. Let's go to Heather, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Heather. Hey, Curtis and Nancy. I love your show. Yes, Heather. Um, so I was calling. I'm not sure if you know you guys want to talk about this on the radio or not, but I was curious what your take is on bestiality. If that's something that you, as, like, animal people, frown upon or have any opinion on? Well, I, I, yeah, can, I, I would say yes, frown upon it. Yeah, I can speak to it. Um, uh, in the uh, arena of raising horses, horse racing horses, uh, there have been people found in the barns who are having sex with the thoroughbred horses. It happens on farms. It happens uh, in people's homes with their domestic uh, animals, uh, with dogs and other animals. It's a horror, and society does not at all uh, take uh, bestiality seriously. Occasionally we'll see a case, Nancy, uh, like three guys who have been uh, busted for perpetually abusing pigs, cows, dogs. Um, And then you never hear about it again. It's like we don't want to talk about it. It's like incest. There are certain things in our society. Yeah, and and there you go. That's another thing too, right, psychologically. I mean, there's there's no looking into, well, why is it that these people actually did it when in normal society no no one would even think about that. So we we become very enlightened about no means no, sexual assault, uh, uh, actual rape, uh, and yet comes to animals, well, you know, it's an animal. Yeah, this yeah. guy is a screwball. You know, he's yeah. or maybe maybe he was looking for love in all the wrong places. I've heard people yeah, but, say this, and I'm yeah, like, but then, yeah, but then again, this this guy also too. I mean, or these three young men. I mean, if they get married someday, they have children. I mean, you wouldn't want that person being around a child, raising a child, having a child. I mean, maybe certain things should be off limits to the uh, gene going forward. Well, there needs to be an expose on people who have raised animals on farms, uh, those who have raised uh, horses, especially in the racing industry, uh, because oftentimes a lot of people have access to cows, you know, and dairies, horses and thoroughbred farms. And you will hear the stories of bestiality. And in a lot of instances, they'll joke about it. And it's, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, Fred over there, he wasn't able to find a woman, so that's his woman over there, Elsie the cow. And I remember <laughs> yeah. hearing that for the first time, and I say, oh, you think that's funny, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're looking at me like, I'm strange. And they say, well, <laughs> you know, what, what does it matter? You know, Freddie's pleasurizing himself. I say, yeah, well, there's a way to pleasurize yourself, and you don't have to abuse an animal in order to do that. 
They yeah. have no consciousness. They're giggling like a group of junior oh, wow. high school students. That's crazy. That's crazy. Absolutely. Anyway, let's take one more call here on the Animal Welfare Hour. It's uh, Michael who's calling from Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Hey, Curtis and, and Nancy. Uh, I love both of your shows. I listened to Curtis and, and Avery last night. You had me cracking up. <laughs> you guys were so funny, the thing on, on Frank. Uh, but I love, Nancy, what she's doing, uh, educating the public about the animals. I called once and I told you that I live in Pennsylvania in the woods, and I, I had all these these strays. Well, my great-grandmother had 13 cats in her basement when I was living on her farm in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. I wound up in the mountains in Pennsylvania in the Poconos, and I have a place, and I get a little bit of, little bit of backyard, and you know, and the animals could run free, and they could lay mm-hmm. on my deck. They never left my deck, and I told you I fed them. And Nancy said that's very admirable. You know, you're feeding them, and I, yes, and I did get the boy that I had, in the best animal I ever had. I've had dogs, mm-hmm. and this boy was like a little dog. He was a great cat. He yeah. was a Russian blue. And he died on me. So I kept feeding these cats, and somebody comes up on my deck in my property, and they they took all my cats. Oh, and God. I'm guessing they're front platers because nobody around here – I lived here around here for over 30 years. No one ever bothered my, my animals or me. Wait, or, and, this, and this was on your property? Yes. Wow. And Wait, I'm and guessing, who was it? I'm guessing they're front platers, newly arrived from New York, New Jersey, with the front plate, you know, in the car. I call them front platers. No, you're right. You're right. Oh. Hey, look, Michael, Michael recently, and we threatened these people, uh, people were driving in from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania plates on vans, and scooping up the street pigeons and bringing them back to hunting lodges where they would normally uh, shoot clay pigeons. Yep. And then they would release the actual uh, city pigeons, and the hunters would shoot them instead of the clay pigeons. And uh, we put out a threat. Uh-huh. Well, I put out a threat uh, of what we would do uh, to them uh, with the guardian angels if we found them collecting the pigeons. You know, they were scooping them up with these big nets, and nobody was doing anything. They'd come in into our city, stealing our city pigeons. To exactly. take them, right, to take them out to a, a lodge, a bird hunting lodge, where normally they would shoot clay pigeons, no problem, shotgun, mm-hmm. clay pigeons. Yeah. But now the hunters were promising them, oh, yeah, I'll give you money if you can get pigeons and we can shoot real pigeons instead of clay pigeons. And that pretty much stopped because uh, what we were prepared to do to them, I cannot say, over the airwaves, Let's just say that those vehicles, uh, all the tires would have been punctured, uh, and they would have had to find a different way back to Pennsylvania. Do I make myself clear on that? Old school remedies in defense of the street pigeons. I know a lot of them, people listening right now, Joe, you should have let them. Take them all. Take all the street pigeons. That's a double oofah. Anyway, Nancy, if folks would like to continue to engage you in conversation on all animal welfare issues, how can they do so? Uh, well, they can visit uh, guardianangels.org and go to the Animal Protection tab, or they can email me directly, uh, nancy at guardianangels.org. And you should be. I'm going to yes. check on this because, you know, uh, 
these deadbeats, these slackers here at WABC, you know, the people behind the scenes, oh, can I have another day off? Supposedly, there's going to be a special podcast, or it's already up, okay, which is just on the animal welfare issues that we discuss each week. Oh, fantastic. You gave them a picture. What is the picture, Nancy? Um, well, let, let's see. Is that that's of you and me? Is it the cat shelter? Yes. 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 So, so that's um, the cat shelters that we made and distributed for cats during uh, the winter time. So if you go to WABCRadio.com, it should be listed there. There are a hell of a lot of podcasts listed, uh, many that probably never get listened to. I don't know why they're there, but they are. But this one, I know people have asked me time and time again, oh, I want to share this, I want to share this. So go to WABCRadio.com, and for any reason, if it's not up, I will declare war against the uh, (laughs) podcasting unit here, and I will make sure that it is remedied. So the next time, we're back with all of you next Sunday, same time, same place, every week, Sunday nights, 11 or 12. It is the Animal Welfare Hour featuring uh, Nancy Sleeman. Up next, animal lover extraordinaire himself, fresh in from Pomona in Rockland County, where it's so white out there, even the lawn jockeys are white. Dominic Carter. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I have one thing to say. You better work. And Joe, he likes to keep the music down low here. You got to get into the flow with Curtis Lee. You got to pump. I want to hear those woofers and tweeters out there stimulating people so that they're not going to sleep because we have to take, when I say we, Dominic Carter first is normal show 12 to 1 and then an extra two hours like you've been doing all last week. And then I come on like a tag team. You know, when 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 are you gonna sleep? Three to five. Be plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. And then <laughs> I come back. I do six to seven on my own. And then John Katsimatidis comes in as he did all last week, seven to ten. And I look around and I play this RuPaul song. You got to work it. Three snaps up. And do you think the music is loud enough? Apparently, it's got to be louder because we have colleagues here who don't know that in five minutes, it's Monday, no more holiday, get your ass back into this studio. A bunch of Goldberg slackers and deadbeats. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I'm not touching that. Oh, I will. I'm not touching that. I will. We're number one, right? Yes. You know how hard it was to become number one? Very hard. It's harder to stay number one. Can, can we turn down the music, Curtis? Yeah, you can turn down, Joey, turn down the music here. But I want to first compliment you, Dominic, because you've been doing double duty, and people have recognized what a really good talk show host you are. Well, thank you, my brother. Thank you. No. Very kind of you to a say. A lot of compliments have been pouring in uh, because you're getting right into the heart of a lot of subjects that people are interested in. So now you you didn't dispute what I just said. So you are admitting that you're a brother? Because you are. Don't, don't ever accuse me of being your brother. That's an accusation. That's not a statement because I am not your brother. You're a brother. 
But you have done an amazing job in the Thank absence you. of people who don't want to work here. Oh, God. Uh, Lydia Serrani <laughs> has done an amazing job she has. in absence she really has. of people who don't want to work here. I, I don't know about that part. But and she really Anthony has. Weiner has done an amazingly great he, job. He really has. He really has. So has. I, I, I'm looking at this calendar, right? Mm-hmm. 12 midnight. Right. Holiday is over, right? Yes. It's a working day for people. Uh, not really. Well, what people is it not a working day? Uh, t- today is Monday. It's in effect the holiday. Really? Yes. In effect, it's the well. Well, maybe, for, maybe, for... maybe people here at WABC they want to come in on Tuesday and then go home on Thursday night, and you know, like in Australia, you come in on Tuesday, you go home on Thursday, you hook up to Barbie, you, you get Curtis, a nice. These these are our colleagues. Yeah, I know. And they so, be, they so, better get their butts into the studio. So leave it alone. No, I'm not going to leave it alone. I love this thing too what much. What is wrong with you, man? Somebody's leave it alone. got somebody's got to call them out. I got the cred. Nobody's been here longer than me. Thirty-five years in talk radio. I got the stripes. What the hell are you doing? Wine and cheese in Atlantic City. When is Frank coming back? His crew is supposed to be here today. Where, where, mm. where, where's Matt Blaze? Where's the brown nose producer, Alex, right? Wait, 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 wait. Where's the runway guy, Ken? Wait, 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 it's got to be brown. Well, because he's up to talk to you, Frank Marano. You realize Marana. my complexion is brown. Yeah. And you're here. You got a family. I don't understand this. See, I'm trying to divert you off the topic, and no matter what I say, you are staying on, on Damn on right, because I know what it takes to be number one. It's happened to me in 35 years. I know what it's like to be down in the basement. I know what it was like to be on the cusp of being destroyed as a radio station by our previous owners. And this thing of ours is not going to be here forever if people just take it for granted. Like, eh, I'll come in when I want to. Okay. Are there any issues you want to talk about? Yeah. The issue is work. I, I know what W-O-R-K. to do. I, I know what to do. You know what these hipsters and millennials do? Let me tell you, the crew I had before. Oh, I want to Netflix my life away. Let me binge watch. Let me uh, put up my social networking. Oh, you know what I had earlier today at Denny's? I had the Glam, Grand Slam, and I had strawberries on it, and they post that. Like, who cares? Hey, you want to hear something a little different? So I'm in, I'm, in Ro- I'm in Rhode Island, right? Yes. And I, I order uh, on the phone something to eat, right? And I don't know the difference between Denny's and uh, IHOP. And I'm like, I want the Grand Slam. Hold on a second. And they're like, sir. No, no. <laughs> Black people go to IHOP. Oh, here let's, we let's go. Let's define that. Here, here we on go. On a Sunday morning, here we go. the brothers and sisters are going around the block after church at IHOP. White Castles. No, not in the morning. Not in the morning. Actually, the morning. I hop. I prefer I hop over the Denny's. They do it better. They do breakfast better. The only place I've ever had actually a better uh, breakfast is in the jail in Forsyth <laughs> County in Georgia, <laughs> where the CEOs gave me two servings. Oh, I mean, boy. they had the pancakes. Oh, oh, I mean, they had the eggs, oh, and they boy. said, "Yo, you and Bull Bull Wiggins was arrested uh, with me with the oh, GBI, boy. the Georgia Bureau of Investigation." Would you like, uh, Mr. Sleewa, would you oh, like another serving of breakfast? Oh, boy. Because oh. if you're not going to eat it, we are. But Waffle House takes them all. Waffle yes. House. Oh, yeah. No, not that it's better. It's cheaper. 
And, you, more, you, and more good grease. Oh, and everyone <laughs> in Waffle House does not have teeth. I finally got you the off the chef, topic. The waiter, the waitress, the customers, uh, and they all come out of three-eyed fornicating uh, trailer parks in order to make a living, and they give you endless watered-down coffee. Oh, man, Waffle House. Man, that's a dream come true. Love you, man. I mean, imagine you're out there, you're at a Motel 6 or My a Super brother. 8, and right next door is a Waffle House. That's the trifecta. My brother, I love you. No, you're not my brother, and I don't do that. (laughs) I don't exchange love with men. Later.